Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our series, Jesus, Life-Changing Conversations, we'll be hearing from Pastor Jason about Jesus' conversation with his disciples in Luke chapter 10. We hope and pray that this message challenges and encourages you today. Now let's hear from Pastor Jason. Well, sometimes we say yes to something and we don't really know what we're saying yes to. Has anybody ever had that moment where you, you say yes and then you think to yourself, well, what did I just agree to do? This happened to me a couple of years ago. I was on a flight with a mission trip, a mission group here from our church, and we were on our way to South Africa. And we were somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, and I was just enjoying the peace and quiet, and I was reading a book. I was seated in the bulkhead seat, which has lots of extra leg room, and, which is a big deal for a guy my size. And uh, the crew was kind of working there in the galley area, and a flight attendant walks by, and she taps me on the shoulder, and in a very calm voice says, Sir, at some point in this flight, we're going to have to detain a passenger. Would you be willing to assist us? in this process. Well, you know, not to shy away from civic duty, I said, yes, absolutely, I'm happy to help. Now, when I said yes to that, little did I know that 30 minutes later, this knee would be in the back of a person that they have wrestled to the ground, that they have handcuffed, and that has now required us to have an emergency landing in Spain so that we can offload this passenger. See, all in a day's work. Just (laughs) simply saying yes. Or how about this? You ever get a mailer at your house in your mailbox and it promises you four free nights of lodging in Orlando and you just have to call that number? And you call the number and you get four free nights of lodging, but you also get a four-hour timeshare presentation that you have to set through and numerous calls every day for the rest of your life as this company reminds you how great of a, uh, how great of a compliment it would be to them if you were to buy into their timeshare process. Or how about this one? I know this has happened to a lot of us. You kind of get asked by the baseball league or the PTA to volunteer for something at school or with your kids' softball league, and what they tell you is it's just going to be a small responsibility, and you say yes because it's just going to be a couple of hours, and you realize that that just a couple hours has now turned into a full-time job, and you thought to yourself, what have I said yes to? We can all relate to those moments where we say yes to something, but not really knowing what we are saying yes to. We'll enter this sermon series that we are in the second week of now called Conversations, Life-Changing Conversations with Jesus, and one of the things that you're going to see about Jesus If you've been walking with Christ for quite some time, or maybe you're brand new to faith, or you are not a person of faith just quite yet, something that you're going to see about Jesus is that Jesus, when you say yes to him, he wants it to be very clear what you're saying yes to. In fact, Jesus goes to great lengths to help us understand what we are saying yes to. Jesus is not underselling. He's not overselling. He's not minimizing. He's not saying it's just going to be this or it's just going to be a little bit of that. He wants us to fully understand what it means to be with him and to follow his agenda. And he has laid out this plan very clearly in scripture. And so I'm praying that today this conversation that we look at with Jesus and his disciples would bring wisdom to your life and it would bring understanding about this most important task that Jesus has called us to. 
And the text that we're going to be using comes from the book of Luke. It's Luke chapter 10. If you have a physical copy of God's Word, you want to go ahead and open to Luke chapter 10. If you're new to the Bible and you wonder where is Luke, just let it flop open and keep going to the right a little bit, okay? And it's the third book over in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the Gospels. And that word gospel simply means good news. And so this book of Luke is about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if your Bible is like mine, a lot of Luke is in red letters, meaning that these are really the words that Jesus said, Jesus' teachings directly. And what you're going to see in this story is this big idea of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And so I'm not going to tell you just quite yet, but listen to verse 1 and see if you catch it. See if you catch it very early on as to what this conversation is all about. Look at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is raising up disciples. He is appointing them. He's setting them apart two by two, and he is sending them. He's telling them to go. And this is the conversation that Jesus is having. He is saying, your faith is not a faith that you just sit on but rather it is sent. And this is true for all of Scripture. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That word go could easily be replaced with sent, that sending you, I'm sending you to make disciples of all nations. Look at John 17, 18. As you sent me, these are the words of Jesus as well, as you sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. Meaning that as God sent Jesus to fulfill the plans and purposes that Christ had, I am now sending you as disciples. So Jesus sends us. Jesus sends his followers. It is at the core of who he is. And it is at the core of what it means to be on mission for him. I want you to think for a second about your business. And what is the core of your business? Maybe you are a, uh, running a restaurant or a, a hospitality business. And unless you have some very unique business model, your desire is to get more customers in the door than you had last year. You want to keep the, you know, the customers coming in. If you're building custom furniture, you want more orders than you know how to fulfill. If you're running a cookie business out of your kitchen, you're wanting more people to know about your business tomorrow than know about your business today. So how do you go about growing that business? Well, there's lots of ways. You employ more people. You refine the craft that you are making. You streamline the process. You share stories about how life-changing these cookies are, and so you would be silly not to buy them. Whatever the case might be, you invest in more marketing, you get better at what you're doing, all of those things, the list goes on and on. Enter Jesus. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who God sent to save all humanity, also had a mission, and he gave us a mission. And you may ask yourself the same question, well, how is that mission fulfilled? Well, that mission is fulfilled by the people sitting in this room. You are God's growth strategy plan, period. There's not a contingency plan. You are plan A. Now, God does not ask you to change anyone, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but he does commission us and call us to go and to be sent for his plans and for his purposes. That message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is such good news. And God says, I am sending you to share that news. So here's the big idea of this conversation. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. It's the essence of this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to Jesus sending you. 
I like to give you notes that you can kind of fill in on that worship guide if you want to take notes. If you're like me, that helps me process, so I just assume that there's some other people in the room that want to follow along with those notes. But when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to Jesus sending you. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, and this is the first time anybody has ever connected those dots for you, I'm very sorry. The church has failed you if this was the very first day as a follower of Christ that you ever connected the dots that when I said yes to Jesus, I was also saying yes to Jesus sending me. But for those of you who are new to faith, or for those of you who are seeking faith, or you're trying to grow in what God is asking you to do, I want you to see this so clearly. There's nothing hidden here. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden fees. There's no, I said yes, but there's all this other stuff that I didn't know was coming my way. Something that I clearly see here in scripture is that when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to Jesus sending you. So let's look at how it is that we are to be sent. Back to chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Well, I'm going to stop again. You guys are like, is he ever going to get past verse 1? I promise I'm going to. But verse 1 starts with a phrase that unsettles me a little bit. When I'm reading scripture and I see a phrase after this, it begs me to ask the question, after what? It's like if I were to walk up to you in the, in the street and, and you were to say, how are you doing? And I was like, well, after this, you would look at me like I had three heads, as you should. After what? I mean, we can't just start in, verse 10, in chapter 10, verse 1, after this. Well, after what? Something has clearly happened prior to this. Jesus and the disciples, maybe they've had a spa day. Maybe they've sacrificed. I mean, maybe they've just been in prayer and solitude. Who knows? After what? Well, go back to chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. And this is what the after this is referencing. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so there's these three men who one say, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, that's great. I don't really have a home. Foxes have dens and holes in the ground where they live, but I'm on mission. I'm constantly moving, constantly being sensitive to what it is that God's asking me to do and following that. And then the second guy says, okay, I will follow you, Jesus, but can I go back and bury my father? And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me. Third guy says, I will follow you, but can I go back and say bye to my family first? And Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And if you're anything like me, you think to yourself, this sounds pretty harsh. This is pretty intense. This is pretty intense stuff that Jesus is saying. Is Jesus saying that I shouldn't care about people? Is Jesus saying that I should not take a day off work to go bury my father? Is Jesus saying that the needs of other people should not be important? It's not at all what he's saying. Don't read these six verses and think that Jesus is anti-people. Don't read these six verses and think that Jesus is anti-grieving with those who are grieving. The shortest verse in Scripture is Jesus wept. It was in connection to Jesus' friend Lazarus dying. So Jesus is very intimately connected to the grief and the hurt of people. The second greatest commandment is that we would love people like we love ourselves. So these six verses are not saying people are not important. But what these six verses are saying is the grander narrative of all of Jesus' teachings, which simply put, Jesus is most important. 
He is saying, I have to be the priority. I want to be the priority in your life. I want everything else in your life to be secondary, meaning that what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. The ways that you follow Jesus and that you are sent by him is the most important thing about the way that you live your life. So Jesus isn't saying that people are not important. He's just saying, I have to be, I want to be, I yearn to be, I desire to be most important to you. And then allow everything else to follow in second place. Back to the text. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, then your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have rep- repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon for judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. In my preparation and study for the message this week, I was just so overwhelmed by all of the richness of this text and the richness of this command and this commission that Jesus is calling us to. And to be honest with you, I was very convicted, realizing that there's a lot of area for growth in my life and a lot of things that I want to do better. Jesus is making it so very clear here that he's sending us and he's giving us so much beautiful examples and illustrations as to how we are to do that. And to be honest, I I, I think, maybe I'm just naive, but I think if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I think you want to do this well. I don't think there's anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ who says, you know what, I don't want to be on mission. I don't want to be sent. No, I don't want to be in this most important task that God has called me to be. If you're here and you know Jesus and have a relationship with him, I think you want to do this. I know that I certainly do. But the reality is we struggle, don't we? We struggle to live this way at all times and in all things. We struggle to make this a part of our everyday vocabulary. We struggle sometimes to be relational and to build relationships with people and to talk to others about 
Jesus, we struggle sometimes to prioritize going and being sent. So my hope is that the remainder of the time that we have together is that you'll feel more equipped and more confident and clearer in your understanding of the call that God has placed on your life as a result of what we're reading and studying this morning. So what I want to do in the rest of the time that we have is I want to share with you eight truths about living sent. Simply put, eight truths about living sin. And you can fill in the notes on your page if you want to, but these are eight truths that you see jumping out of this text, these first 24 verses of chapter 10. Now, why eight? No reason. Three was too short, and I actually had 12, but I didn't want to keep you guys here all day. So I just kind of landed somewhere in the middle and thought that eight would be a good place for us to land. So the first truth about living sin that you see there on your notes is the reason I'm going has to be more important than what I'm leaving. This is huge. The reason I am going has to be more important than what I am leaving. Look at verse 62. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. One of the characteristics of Jesus that we often tend to look over is that he is very jealous for you. He wants priority in your life. He wants to be first in your life. He doesn't want you to have chief competitors that will vie for your heart and your attention. It's why Pastor Jeff led us last week in an amazing sermon about the rich young ruler. Because the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I followed all the rules. What else do I need to do? And what does Jesus say? Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. It was a chief competitor in his life and he wasn't willing to sacrifice that. Now from that conversation, should you have deduced that it's bad to be wealthy? No. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, everything about your life, though, should have me as the priority. And everything else is secondary to that. So what makes you and I fit to be sent? What makes us fit to be sent is that we would keep both hands on the plow. And that we would say, you know what, Jesus and the eternity of other people is a priority to me. And so here's what I'm going to seek to do. I'm going to seek to engage in relationships, to have spiritual conversations with other people, to invite people to church, to lean in to relationships. And I'm going to allow the eternity of others to be more important to me than the awkwardness of having this conversation. I'm going to allow the eternal destination of my friends and my family and my neighbors be more important to me. I want that to take up more mental and heart real estate than I do the anxiety about how to have that conversation. Or will people think that I'm silly for engaging them in this kind of conversation. Because people are living lives, so many people, and you could, I'm sure, list out 10 people without thinking in your sphere of influence right now that are not living full, rich, abundant lives in Jesus Christ or that will not spend an eternity with God but would rather spend an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. See, that promise and that why has to be more important to me than everything else. And that reason for going and being sent and being on mission has to be more important than what I am leaving. Secondly, serving in isolation is a recipe for disaster. Serving in isolation is a recipe for disaster. Back to verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus, being the 
greatest teacher of all time, landed on this model of being sent that you shouldn't overlook. He didn't tell people to go out alone. He didn't tell them to go try to figure everything out on their own, but rather he said, I want you to go in pairs. He paired them up and he sent them out to be, to be on the front lines of ministry together. And there are so many good reasons that you and I should seek to follow this example. Because when you serve with someone else at a base level, what you're indicating is that I need other people. At a base level, you're saying, you know what? I don't have it within me. I'm not that good. I need to depend upon other people. In fact, you're saying, it's not all about me. I'm wired for community, and I'm wired to be on this journey together. And there's also strength in numbers. Back in the first century, this was a really dangerous path, literally a dangerous path that these disciples were walking upon. And so you're much less likely to be attacked when you're with somebody else then you're just there by yourself. If I have a partner in ministry, I'm much less likely to quit. In fact, if I have a partner for working out, I'm much less likely to hit snooze in the morning. If you know that somebody's going to be waiting on you at the park or at the Y at 5 a.m., you are much less likely to hit snooze. But what are you much more likely to do? To get up out of the bed because you don't want to let that person down. God wired us that way. And he said, I want you to be that way in your missional living. This was Jesus' plan. Now, something else that is definitely worth sharing is have you noticed that when you're serving with someone else, it makes the difficult days much more bearable? And it makes the celebrations so much sweeter. Who likes to be by themselves to celebrate all the great things? No, you want to be around people and you want to celebrate all those things that God is doing. Third thing that you see, this truth that comes out of this text is that a scarcity outlook will shape your work more than you realize. A scarcity outlook will shape your work more than you realize. And I'm going to explain that to you. Verse 2, Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, what do I mean by scarcity outlook? What is a scarcity mindset? Some of you have a scarcity mindset. You just don't know what I'm talking about quite yet. A scarcity outlook is when you look at everything that you don't have. A scarcity mindset is me looking at all of the obstacles. It's it's all of the things that I do not have, completely forgetting all of the things that I do have. A scarcity outlook in family life looks like this. It's spring break. We want to go on a really nice vacation. Everybody else takes their kids to Disney. We don't have enough money to take our kids to Disney, so therefore we're not as good as parents as everybody else. And we laugh and jest, but this is a real struggle that so many parents are facing where they're beginning to evaluate everybody else's actions opposed to theirs. Absolutely nothing wrong with Disney. Please go, have a great time, but you're not an awful parent if you can't afford to take your kids to Disney. But a scarcity mindset is we don't have as much as everybody else has, so therefore we can't do that, so therefore vacation is going to be ruined. Disney doesn't have the corner on memories. You can make some great memories in Chattanooga. You can make some great memories in St. Louis. You can make some great memories in Cincinnati because, see, what makes that time so special is that you are together. A scarcity mindset will cloud the bigger picture, and it will make you fail to see all of the awesome things that are happening because you focus on everything that you don't have. Back at verse 2. I have read verse 2 so many times in my life, and you know what phrase I tend to highlight in verse 2? The workers are few. Not enough workers, so few workers. It's true. 
There are not enough workers in the harvest field right now. But do not gloss over the first part of that verse. The harvest is abundant. Scarcity mindset looks at all of the not enough workers. But what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand is the harvest, friends, it is abundant. It is plentiful. That means in your sphere of influence right now that there are people that need Jesus. So don't let the truth that there's not enough workers make you join in with not working, but to say, I want to abundantly see that harvest. In fact, I want to give you a bold prayer to pray today. Do not pray this if you don't really have a lot of courage. Maybe today you would pray a prayer before we ever leave our gathering today to say, you know what, God, show me where the harvest is abundant. Show me abundant harvest today. And if you believe that in your heart, buckle up. Because there is a harvest field that's out there, and he wants to show that to you. Fourth thing you see, the work is hard, but Jesus is with you. The work is so hard, but Jesus is with you. Look at verse 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, this is a really bad recruiting tool. I mean, this is terrible marketing. (laughs) Jesus called his disciples together, and then one of the first things he tells them as they're going is, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Come work for me. You're probably going to die. Come work for me. This message is so unpopular. It's the very, the very heart of this message is why I'm dying on a cross so that you can have life. But go do it. Come and join this team. How am I supposed to do that? The only way I can do that is when I realize he is the one who is sending me. And this work is oh so hard. But Jesus is with you. And when Jesus is with you, he has a plan that you can't ever see, that you may not even be able to fully understand. When Jesus is the one who is sending you, he provides for you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. He provides and protects you in ways that would blow your mind. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood resolutely on God. And where did that get them? Thrown in a fiery furnace. But not a hair of their body was burned. I think about Joseph, who stood resolutely with God. And as a result of that, he was sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He is falsely accused for a crime that he doesn't even commit. He is in prison, but God was in the midst of all of that. And as a result of God having a plan and purpose that Joseph couldn't see, Joseph's family was saved and the entire nation was fed in the midst of a famine. So the work is hard, but Jesus is the one who is with you. Number five, even the most necessary things can become distractions. Even the most necessary things can become distractions. Jesus says to the followers in this conversation, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. I look at this again from kind of the 21st century context and I struggle with the relevance of this, but to really understand what Jesus is saying here is it's not a departure from what he has said in the entire text. It's priorities. That I want to be the most important thing to you. And there's all of these things that can really weigh you down and they can become distractions. And these things can become more important. They can take up more of a place of prominence in your life than me. And if those things take a place of prominence in your life, what they're going to be is a chief competitor for your heart. And they're going to be a chief competitor for your attention. And Jesus is saying no. Minimize those distractions so that you can be fully sent with me. I'm not going to tell you what all those distractions are in your life, but you know what they are. All of the things that distract you from the work that God has called you to do. Maybe it is something very physical. Maybe it is worldly possessions. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's feelings that God could not use somebody like me to do his work. Whatever the case might be. 
just simply lean in and say, God, I, I want to work and serve in the midst of these distractions. Minimize those distractions so that I can best be used by you. Look back with me at verse 8. When you enter a town and you are welcome to eat what's offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Scroll down to verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Which leads to this sixth amazing truth. You're called to share the truth of the gospel, not to change a heart. I firmly believe that, and I have, I have used this point. Some of you guys that have been a part of Rolling Hills for a while, you're like, I think that's a part of your, that's like one of your points of your message like every other week. About every month you see this point show up in my sermon because it needs to be said. And we struggle with this so greatly. You are called to share the truth of the gospel. You're not called to change a heart. See, when Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs, he instructed them to go into towns. You heard the text. He said, go find the people of peace. Go build the relationships. Go speak the truth in love. But he also said, leave the changing of people's hearts up to me. You are God's plan A to go and share. You are not God's plan A to change anyone. God had a plan A. It was Jesus. Jesus was and still is God's plan A for doing the changing of hearts. But he has called us to be sent and to proclaim that good news. If someone listens to you, Jesus says they're listening to Jesus. But if someone rejects you, they're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting God who sent Jesus. So allow that weight to kind of fall off your shoulders this morning. It's not your responsibility to change. It's your responsibility to share. So when you said yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to sharing. You're not saying yes to changing anyone because it's incapable. you are incapable of doing that. Number seven, more joy comes from being sent than being safe. I love this point. More joy comes from being sent than being safe. Look back at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. See, more joy comes from being sent than being safe. Think about what these disciples have said yes to. Remember the whole lambs among wolves part? Remember the whole nobody's fit for the kingdom of God if they have one hand on the plow and one hand looking back? And in the midst of that context, in the midst of that backstory, in the midst of being paired up with other fellow sojourners who were just as broken and who were just as messed up as they were, they go out and they are sent and they come back with great joy. There's so much joy that comes from being sent opposed to being safe. Where's the joy in all of the safe things? Think about it. Take me to an amusement park, give me a ticket to a carousel or a ticket to a roller coaster. I'm going roller coaster every time. Right? Who's with me? 
Some of you guys are like, no, I've got motion sickness. I can't do it. I want carousel. Whatever the case might be, we'll bless you. God bless you for feeling that way. What's fun about being safe? I think about the little winter storm, or big winter storm, I guess I should say, that we had about a month ago here in Nolensville. And it was awesome. I, my kids are age seven and three, and that was the most snow that they'd ever seen in their entire life. And we had an absolute blast the entire week. I mean, we were just froze to death the entire week because the freezing rain started happening on Monday, and we had a little sled, and we were pulling them around in the yard in the freezing rain. People driving by looking at us like, those people have lost their mind. And they had a great time. And then the snow kept coming, and then we graduated to the hill in our yard, which was awesome. And then we graduated to the much bigger hill in front of our house. And over the course of a couple of days, we, we moved from pulling around the sled in the yard to now going down the really steep hill, hill where you're going in between mailboxes. The bigger the hill, the bigger the risk, but the more fun. And let me tell you what my kids did not want to do after they had been on the big hill. They didn't want to be snow angels anymore. They didn't want to go back to just being pulled around the yard. They actually said, Dad, this is boring. We want to go back on the hill. And I think to myself, think about this situation. Jesus is saying, sure, it's safe to sit around and do nothing. But it's joyful to be out on the front line saying, you know what? I am all in for Jesus. And it doesn't matter how many obstacles come my way. It doesn't matter how many crazy looks I get. It doesn't matter what kind of risk is associated with this. And again, I'm not encouraging you to leave this place and just throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying go out and just, you know, just completely say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just completely, the pastor said at Rolling Hills that we just need to have absolutely no safety whatsoever. That's not at all what I'm saying. But just know that more joy comes from being sent than being safe. So engage in the life of another person. Pray for those opportunities to share the gospel. And this should stir up joy in our hearts and in our lives. And then lastly, number eight, humility and awe should always surface when I realize that God desires to use me. Sometimes when we realize that God desires to use us, arrogance and conceitedness stirs up in our life. That's never what should grow in our life. What should grow in our life when we realize that God is using us and wants to use us is humility. And all look at verse 23. He turned to his disciples and said privately, you know this is important because Jesus is not broadcasting it to the crowd. He's looking at this group of 72, and he's telling them this privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. There were so many prophets that wanted to see what you're seeing right now. There are so many others that are not with us right now that are not seeing these awesome blessings. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I would add to that, blessed are the hands that serve the poor. Blessed are the eyes that see the downtrodden and say, I'm going to be called to go to that. Blessed are you when your ears listen to someone in your neighborhood who is hurting, who's going through an awful divorce, and who is beginning to wonder, is God even here? Does God even care about me? Blessed are the eyes that see the needs of our community and say, sign me up. Blessed is the heart of the person who mourns and who rejoices with someone else who's going through a really difficult season. I'm so thankful in my life that I've seen this time and time again, that humility and awe surfaces in your life when you realize that God wants to use you. Have you ever been sitting knee to knee with someone and you see the light bulb just come on? 
and they're a person who's really far from God, and they begin to understand the truths of Scripture. And you begin to see that light bulb come on, and you begin to hear them confess the things that they are struggling with. And I never leave those conversations with anything besides a deep sense of humility and awe. That God would use a really broken person like me to be on the front lines of his work. That God would use a really broken person like you to be on the front lines of his work. I know some of you in the room really well, and some of you I have never met today. But one thing I do know about you all, you're really broken people. You have a past that would very easily say, you know what, God couldn't use somebody like me. In fact, if you knew everything that I'd ever struggled with, you seriously would go to another church. And you would be like, we got to go somewhere else. But the reality is, what does God do? God looks at us, and what does he see? He sees grace. He sees mercy. He sees someone who is worthy of the call that he has placed on our life. And he sees someone that he died for. And then he sees someone he's sending so I pray that you will be sent. I pray that you will go, that you'll listen to this conversation that Jesus had with his followers and that you will say, God, I want to be on the front lines of what it is that you are asking me to do. In fact, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And we're going to close today with just a, a time of reflection, a time for you to reflect upon what Jesus is doing in your life and what it is that he's asking you to respond to. So as the band comes and as they lead us in one final song, I, I simply just want to ask you, to do a mental inventory and to say, God, what is it that you want to teach me today? Maybe you're here and you're far from God and you just need to be reminded that Jesus loves you and that he has a plan for you and that you would put your faith and your trust in him today. Or maybe you're here and you've just been struggling to believe that God could use someone like you. So maybe today you would pray, God, give me the courage to follow you and then for all of us, I hope and pray that in this time, God will bring to our hearts and minds some people in our life that are far from God, that are struggling, that are going through difficult seasons of life, and that God would give us the vision and the courage and the wisdom to follow after him, to go, to be sent, to take the good news of the gospel, because it's really what will change someone's heart. God, thank you for meeting us here today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your care. And I pray that we would be people who go and we'd be people who, who are sent. We know, God, that you're the one who sends us and sometimes it seems so scary and so anxiety-producing. But I pray that we would trust in you, that our love for you would grow and that our mission would be so real. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this continued time of worship. It's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you connect. We're really thankful that you're here.